And now, a sorry wrong door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us, and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist, with deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gumdrop lips, Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is your old pal Jimmy Sweets, and along with Uncle Frank and Nephew Greg, we are excited to bring you the inaugural podcast of Strange, Interesting, and Slightly Gamey. The theme for today's podcast is none other than our favorite holiday, Halloween. What's on the show, you might be wondering? Well, we're going to highlight some of the best yard haunts around Southern California, as well as discuss the nine most interesting and extreme haunted houses in all their horrific glory. We also have a great segment on Vincent Price, plus much, much more. So let's get started. I can feel it in the air already. It's that Halloween season again. Even in Southern California, you can. There's a little crackle in the air. The east wind coming in. It's fire season. It's fire season. <laughs> That's right. This is also the season of haunted houses. And we've all had experiences with them here. We built them with us. We were little kids out of towels and boxes. And then worked our way up. And the other to Bisqueen. To Bisqueen. Yeah, to Bisqueen. <laughs> all Bisqueen with, with wonderful lighting, though. Beautiful lighting, always, and sound effects, and uh, as much dark as we can get. But there are new branches of haunted houses, at least it's new to me. I, I found out it's been going on for at least 10 years, the extreme haunted houses. Why, uh, why what other ever do you mean, Frank Rodberg? <laughs> <laughs> these are beyond the pale. These are, uh, these are pretty much abuse. I heard one haunted house, in fact, it's the first one we're going to talk about, the Blackout Haunted House. It was described... As the blackout is a haunted house, like Guantanamo Bay is a haunted house. <laughs> these are, these are amazing. The first time I'd ever heard of this. You're gonna need therapy after you go to uh, this, basically. I think so, but you may enjoy That's it. That's anyway. the criteria. Uh, my friend last year, he told me it's the first time I heard about it. He came into work and said, "I just went to the craziest haunted house I've ever been to." Goes, I laughed like heck when I got out, and my girlfriend was weeping. <laughs> and so I said, "What?" Sounds like my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> He was he and he described it. It was all these bizarre uh, yelling at him, interrogations, manhandling, nudity, uh, and all sorts of abuse. 
So I looked into it more, and I found out that that one in particular has been going on for seven years. Wow. So uh, that one is now in L.A. Uh, it started out in New York, I think. It's now in L.A. There's also going to be another one in Chicago. And what's it called? That one is the Blackout House. The Blackout House. I think it's actually, yeah, it's Blackout House. And it they have a range of money from $45 to $135. I don't know if you pay for abuse or pay them not to abuse you. It's, But um, there was a, a website I went to, uh, Raven and Black Cat. And they say that in the seven uh, events that they attended, uh, they were abducted in a van, they were fake waterboarded, rolled up uh, naked in a plastic sheet. <laughs> but there's a safe word. So <laughs> they, they were actually naked, and the yes, and they rolled them performers up. Performers rolled them up. Yes, man. Uh, that's that. We're we're doing these. These are the nine most extreme haunted houses. They are not in the order of extremity. We're just listing nine, and so I'm going to call that nine. I'm going to call that socialism. <laughs> <laughs> this is number eight, and this is The Purge. Uh, my boss at work, he went to this one. It's in L.A., but it travels around. It's about four of these big vehicles, and what they create is this fake basement. When you go in, apparently it looks exactly like some kind of uh, crazy basement. It's from the movie The Purge. So they're semis? Yeah, they're okay. semis, and they have Big Daddy. I haven't seen the movie, but apparently he's the crazy guy in that it's his basement you got my attention with big dad <laughs> when you first come in there's this girl i got this great actress apparently and she says that she's been abducted and he's going to come back and kill her when the purge starts so you have to help her get out or else you're going to be dead and there's all these different rooms i don't know how many they are you have 30 minutes and from clues around each room and also from the cues she gives you you figure out the, these combination locks to get out of the rooms and and as many rooms as you get out, that's how long you can stay in the haunted house. Because if you don't make it out of the first room, they kill you, and it's over. It could be a five-minute haunted house. And um, and then all the time, they have these big alarms. 20 minutes to the purge. you know. And every room you go to, it shows how demented this guy is. Because there's all sorts of bizarre, I don't know if there's torture victims or whatever. But each room is a whole different tableau of horrors. Not, not your grandmother's haunted house. No, no, it's not my haunted house. Number seven, it's a little less disturbing, or is it? This is called Alone, and it's a little arty. They bill it as the uh, a site-pacific, immersive, and artistic exploration of fear, loneliness, and self-preservation. Just you alone in the dark. Well, the translation, according to the LA Weekly, it's a dark, stinky, noisy, dirty, underground labyrinth that you walk alone through with a flashlight and are attacked by actors who have no limits. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, afterwards, you can recuperate with the complimentary Dos Equis. So that's the good part. It's in the L.A. area, but nobody knows where it is. They email you uh, the location like a few days before you go. <laughs> so you can show up. And they murder you after you're done. Because <laughs> yes, this could be a serial killer's dream. It sounds like a, script. A, a great movie, yeah. But you get a Dos Equis. So. <laughs> Number six, we go to Patascala, Ohio. And it's the, hot, um, it's the haunted hoochie at Dead Acres. It's billed as the darkest show on earth and the world's greatest, most extreme haunted house. Uh, from the pictures, I don't know if it's the most extreme, but it's the grossest. <laughs> but they're beautiful. They have Tell good, me more, Frank. They have good sets, lots of decapitations, lots of dismemberment. 
I went back to that Raven and Black Cat side again, and they said when they were at uh, not this this one, but last year's, they were thrown over the shoulder of one of the actors, and he carried him, then tossed him into a group of people where they were attacked with a bunch of people with uh, um, chainsaws. So. Um, the photos show a lot of great props, and they got a lot of great makeup. So it, it's just not all gore. There's some art there, too. I'd pay top dollar to see you thrown over a center shoulder. <laughs> yes, well, that... For those of you who are not uh, <laughs> aware... <laughs> Radio I weigh, has its weaknesses, apparently. I'm about 350 pounds. <laughs> just think of Santa Claus and a grizzly with a little bit of Papa Hemingway thrown in. I want to yeah. describe you as uh, if the skipper and uh, somebody from Duck Dynasty got together and have a baby. That's kind of what oh, you look like. Oh, that's not nice. <laughs> Number five. Now we go to Las Vegas. This is the Freakling Brothers presents The Gates of Hell, Trilogy of Terror. First you'll die, not once but many times, then it gets worse. <laughs> they go on to say that The Gates of Hell is a sadistic experiment in absolutely absolute sensory overload. <laughs> you face your own death and you meet the Prince of Darkness himself. That's worth the price of admission, I think. Uh, one guy said a couple years ago that he went with a friend and they were going along, and one of the actors grabbed his friend by the foot and dragged him down a hallway. <laughs> so, very extreme. Uh, they also had electric shocks later on, and they had to face a firing squad. <laughs> so, as you can see, these are extreme. They're not for the faint of heart. Most of them have a safe word. And if you say this safe word, it's not like they leave you alone. You have to leave the haunted house. So, people don't want to do it. They want to, you know, they, they want to and they don't want to. Number four is back in L.A. again, and it's from a, a group called The Soap Factory, and it's unhinged in the haunted basement. There's no map, no guide, and no hope. <laughs> it's, it's basically another labyrinth, um, which you wander through in a group or alone. They say the terrifying journey promises to keep you on the edge of crying uncle. That's their safe word. <laughs> so um, they brag That's about... very oh, original, by the way. yes. They brag about all their stenches and their sound design. All the par patrons must wear a plastic mask for protection against flying objects. Does oh, that include eyes, ears, uh, and throat? I, yes, or, yeah, it's like everything. everything. And then yeah. they, they suggest you wear um, old clothes because of all the fake blood. So or is it? Someone told me that there's also a cannibal that runs around <laughs> and tries to kill you also. The good thing is they have an exile lounge, and you can go to this lounge before or after. They have live music. They have drinking. You might want to just go there, and that's it. Just stay. <laughs> so, it's where your wife or girlfriend will meet you outside the uh, yes. house. Yes, yes. Now we're to number three, and this is the Macami, the Macami Mansion in San Diego. It's billed as the world's only true interactive four to seven hour haunt experience holy crap this thing could go forever it's it's extreme just for the duration this one is at a private home so they don't have the restrictions <laughs> that we've seen so far first of all there's no safe word as far as i could look through the literature there's no safe word in this thing it's in a home so they can do things like uh, cover you in blood submerge you in water make you eat gross things and put you in a clothes dryer <laughs> <laughs> so, all of which were done. That he's just not making them up. On no, the no, head. these are all listed. Yes, these people. are all things that have been done. There is a waiver, uh, but as far as I can see, no safe word. Uh, for number two, we get a little arty again. We go to delusion. This is also in L.A. 
It's an interactive theater company. I've been to that club, I think. Have you? (laughs) I've been to that state of mind. This moving play immerses you in a living, breathing world as you play the part of, of a psychologically disturbing tale of horror. You will interact, you will perform actions, retrieve objects, solve mysteries, choose paths, and sacrifice yourself if need be to further the story along. That's hogwash. I'm just going to sit around and watch, I think. <laughs> but uh, it's really like one of those, but really, really well done, you know, mystery like, games. How to host a murder or Exactly. Kind of thing, yeah. Except you're in the place. You wander from room to room. They have little, you know, mysteries. People get killed. Um, it, you're in a group of 10, I think. So maybe even some of you die. Maybe that's why they say you sacrifice to do the story a lot. All right, we all go, but I get to be Professor Plum. (laughs) This is in Hollywood, and uh, the people behind it are top shelf, but because it's Hollywood, it's also very weird. So now we come to number one. This is not the most terrifying or whatever, but it is very noteworthy. And that is uh, in North Conway, New Hampshire, and it's The Cult. And actually, it's a fallen flag. It was last done in 2012, but I thought I'd mention it because this is one of the very extreme ones. It's disturbing enough to live on after its death. It begin it begins with a chairlift because it's done at a, at some kind of a resort thing. Okay. So this is October, so it's 24 below zero. Oh, so there should be snow on the ground. Sometime. Oh, there is snow, and you go up on this chairlift, <laughs> freezing, and you get to the top, and it's pitch black, and then they shove a flashlight in your face, and they start yelling at you and ordering you around, and it just gets crazier after that. There's, uh, you know, groping. You get bound and gagged. You're forced to drink fake urine, and uh, they have cockroaches that crawl over you. <laughs> so lots and lot, and it goes on. It's a long thing, room after room. You of had abuse. me at fake urine. <laughs> Well, sadly, it's all gone. In 2014, in its place is going to be the Mercer Home for the Criminally Insane. Hopefully, they'll have a little urine, though, for old time's sake. And now, and now it's, it's time, time for, for Tales from the Catacombs with Jack Wilson. Murderer, loose in a small town. Nervous community, terrorized father. His little girl's up the hill, playing in a small very small wooden cabin. The father wonders why the girls are taking so long. He knew the exact time they were always finished. Taking no more time himself, he ran up the hill. He opened the door. With a sigh of relief, they were all three sleeping. He noticed the cover up to their little chins as he went to roll it back. There were no bodies. Just their heads. Good morning, girls. Sometimes we're not prepared for adversity. I need a doctor. I want a haircut. We are waiting for God. That's ridiculous. Uh, don't knock it till you've tried it. To lovers, the moon is a thing of beauty. Now where's my chicken? <laughs> Near Plum. 
plastic. How've you been? The kids are all bloody and I can't find my skin. Dug out of the chimney, an old finger bone. It's tapping an echo, won't leave me alone. Dreams lay in tatters to drape and festoon. Holes in the clouds and busted balloons. Truck full of dynamite, painted like hope. Head full of questions and head full of dope. Hey there, plastic, I hope you've been well. On the honking the horns and smashing the bells. Waving their flags and screaming their songs. Bloodlust and candles for the Patriot throngs. It's not a matter of better or best. It's just a matter of who gets it next. Eye full of spit and eye full of dust. Probing the wreckage and looking for trust. Good morning, plastic, you old gloomy sight. Black charcoal sockets stare through the night. Tensing your tendons and chewing your teeth. Loading your rifle, you suspend disbelief. Hidden inside us, wild as the wind, is a voice that is whispering how to begin. Dismantling all of our Pacific life. Words cutting deeper than incise or a knife. Lieutenant Plastic, who do you serve? Heroes or villains, which way do you swerve? Killing ain't easy and killing ain't right. Neither side sleeping too well for the fight. Eye full of spit and eye full of dust. Probing the wreckage and looking for trust. And it ain't a question who's better or best. It's just a matter of who gets it next. I need a doctor. During the Halloween season, there are many great actors of the horror genre that come to mind. But there's only one who's done so much um, in the world of sound, and that is Vincent Price. They call him the great velvet voice of radio, but he's done many other audio things. He's done tons of records, from kids' records to... Um, he's got a color slide presentation that he has audio for, for the arts. They have a different um, art museum from around the world. He's done cooking and how to entertain. He's done history, all sorts of poetry. Uh, he even has an acting thing where he'll say lines and you're supposed to read from a script like you're acting with him. <laughs> I think there's a lot of them. We have that. We have all That's this genius. stuff. Actually. Have stuff. He sees uh, Hawk things for Sears. Most people don't yes. know that. But yeah, he, he did a lot of this stuff like the Epicurean things. And... We'll have, we have a lot of these things that we'll show in later shows. Right now, though, we have a, a, a nice set. We have a lot of poetry, some things from the Cadmium records that he did, and an interview from 1971. So now, we present Vincent Price. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch 
far away. Hand of glory, ingredients. One hand of a felon, part of a funeral pall, zimat, nitre, salt, fern and vervain, optional. Long peppers, fat of a gibbeted felon, virgin wax, sesame, pony. Preparation. Take the right or left hand of a felon who is hanging from a gibbet by the highway. Wrap it in a bit of funeral pall, and very tightly so. Put it into an earthenware vessel with zimat, nitre, salt, and long peppers, all very well powdered. Leave it thus for a fortnight, and then take it out and expose it to full sunlight during the dog days until quite dry. If the sun be insufficient, try an oven heated with fern and vervain. Next, make a candle with the fat of the gibbeted felon, virgin wax, sesame, and pony. Use the hand of glory as holder for this candle. The use of the hand of glory thus created is to render those to whom it is displayed into a stupefied and motionless state in such a way that they can no more stir than if dead. Look, there beyond the window pane, through the withered and rattling vine, a wee face spangled with silver rain, lovely and wan, stares in at mine, white as a shell upon the sands, where the black billows break and pass, Something is pressing tiny hands against the barrier of the glass. Something eerie and fey and pale is peering in from the haunted night. At our small room, snug from the angry gale, where faces glow in the firelight, slant strange eyes under sea-green hair, look wistfully in through the window pane. Quick, open the casement! What is there that cries in the wind and the streaming rain? It is gone. It has gone. There is nothing there, blown by the storm to our window pane. Only the night and the chill sea air and the voice of the sorrowful rain. Our guest today is a man who is respected as one of the country's leading art experts, and as one of our leading actors, too. His characterizations and scores of spine-tingling dramas has left audiences gasping around the world. And many of our good old radio listeners will remember him from appearances in dozens and dozens of radio anthology series as well. In one radio series, he was Simon Templer, the Robin Hood of modern crime, playing a saint rather than a sinner. He's Vincent Price. Welcome, Mr. Price, to Those Were the Days. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I love to talk about radio. Well, great. We're going to zero in on radio then okay. for a little while today. You know, people uh, tend to associate you always with the horror films you've made and uh, forget, perhaps, uh, so much that you've done on, on radio and, uh, and also some of the things you've done in motion pictures that really weren't at all related to uh, the horror films. Especially when I remember when uh, so many of the films you made for 20th Century Fox, and I guess it was about early 1940s or so. Well, 1940s and 50s. Actually, I, I never did a horror film until about 1955, 
and I did one called The House of Wax, which was a tremendous success, and um, I've done a few since then, but out of the hundred films I've done, only about 20 of them have been horror films. The ones I like to remember, which fortunately are still on television, uh -huh. are, are some of the ones I did at Fox, like Laura and Song of Bernadette and Keys of the Kingdom, those pictures. You, uh, you may not have actually been in what is uh, called a horror film uh, in, in some of the, the early pictures that you did, but uh, many of them were uh, uh, spooky films or scary pictures, uh, things like... Uh, they were really more melodramas, some uh, of them, yeah. Right. And uh, the first one I did really was not in the movies, but in the theater. I did a play that was a very famous play and ran forever in New York called Angel Street which was about a fellow who tried to drive his wife mad, and uh, it was an, a very exciting play. The film was Gaslight. Gaslight, yeah. that's right. Before you uh, started your motion picture career, you were quite an established uh, actor on the stage. Yes, uh, I did a play with Helen Hayes, which mm -hmm. ran for three years in New York, and then uh, Angel Street ran a couple of years, and I did a lot of plays with Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater, and I still do a lot of theater. You do? Yeah, I try to do one every year. Last year I did Oliver, the musical. Had a wonderful time during that. Gee, well, I hope that you, your stage roles will bring you to Chicago one day so we can well, get a chance to see you on the board, so to speak. I was asked to do Sleuth here, as a matter of fact, oh. and it's, it's one of the most exciting plays I've ever seen. I think you all will love it here. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you. Uh, no, I can't, I can't do it, unfortunately. I've got a commitment to do a film. Well, there's another year. Yeah. Another year, <laughs> another, another play. Another play. Uh, you mentioned the House of Wax a moment ago. That that actually was a uh, a, a remake of of an old Lionel Atwill. That's film. right. Uh, I think it was called the Mystery the of the Mystery Wax Museum. The Mystery of the Wax Museum, and then they called it uh, in my version, which was in 3D, mm. the House of Wax. And um, actually, it was one of the biggest money makers of all time. That gimmick with the glasses and everything. Uh really caught hold, and unfortunately it was uncomfortable for people to wear the glasses, so 3D went out. But, you know, it was uh, amazingly, I, I've seen the film since seeing it in the theater yeah. in 3D. I've seen it on television many times. Yeah. And uh, the impact of the film was not lost just because you lose the 3D. No, it really wasn't. Way. One of the reasons, I think, was that the director, Andre de Toff, didn't make it just for the gimmicks. You know, he made it as a very, very good film, and uh, consequently, when you see it without 3D, it's just as good. But the best 3D effect in it was the uh, the fellow with the ping uh, pong ball. The ping pong. Yes, uh, that thing. was marvelous. Yeah. yeah, that was really really something. Uh, your latest film is Doctor Fives, and you've got a sequel coming up. Yes, I don't know what they're going to call it yet. Uh, Doctor Fives really sort of calls for a sequel. There are few films that do, but it really does because uh, there was one thing left undone mm -hmm. in this film. You know, I'd like to get back to radio because well, so uh, would I. I, I think that radio was probably one of the most exciting medias that, that ever was. Uh, the audience had to do a lot of work. Uh, I did a great many uh, oh, suspense and escape and all of those mm -hmm. theaters, uh, radio theaters. And the audience really had to build the sets to create the makeup, to uh, figure out what they thought the people were like, what the ambiance of the uh, of the drama was like. It was terribly exciting. And almost everybody that I've ever known who started in the theater, uh, who, who has made a success in the theater, started in radio. Radio was the greatest training ground for actors I think that ever was. 
Did you uh, get involved in radio through Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater on the air? No, I was with Orson before the Mercury Theater on the air. I did a lot of soap operas uh, when I was playing in plays in New York. Uh, it was a way of training, really. I mean, you'd go in and you'd do these things, John's other wife and Sam's other mother. And, you know, they were, uh, they were marvelous fun, though. And they called for a kind of immediate, almost improvisation. It was very exciting. Everybody I know really feels that radio was one of the great dramatic mediums. It is. Yeah. It is. And when we hear today some of the programs that were produced for radio 25 and 30 years yes. ago, they still hold up. They oh, they stand sure up do. very well. I did one called Three Skeleton Key about three men who were trapped in a lighthouse when the rats invaded this little island. That still is one of the most exciting shows, I think, that I've ever done in my life. It was just tremendously thrilling. You used uh, your uh, radio skills, if that's what we can call them. We used your acting skills yeah. on radio, I should say, uh, many, many times. And you appeared uh, quite frequently on the Screen Guild Players yes. program and uh, uh, the Philip Morris Playhouse, too. I oh, think yes. You, you were I did uh, ten of those with Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> they, were, they were kind of an experience, I'll tell you. <laughs> Working with Tallulah. Yeah, oh, well, she was marvelous. She really was. I had the greatest admiration for this woman. You played a uh, continuing character for a while in The Saint. Yes, for uh, three years I did. Three years. Say, yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a challenge that I wanted very much at that point in my career to try and create somebody, you know, I mean, completely. Mm -hmm. I'm not really that interested in doing that kind of a thing in television. The mm -hmm. Saint had a lot more dimensions than you're allowed in television as a character. Uh, you're visual, and therefore you're limited. But in, in, a, in a radio drama, you can create anything you want. And uh, it has more excitement, really, as an acting medium. And all you have to do is blink your eyes to uh, change the set, as you That's say. That's right, absolutely. Which was, uh, when, when exactly did you get involved in radio? What, what point was it? Was it 39 or 40? Or well, I started in the before? theater in 1935. Mm -hmm. And I started in London, though I'm an American. Mm -hmm. But I did some radio over there, and radio is still a very, very big medium in, in England. Uh, the BBC does brilliant dramas and marvelous music and uh, uh, dramatizations of the lives of different people as they have done recently mm -hmm. on television. Mm -hmm. And um, then I came over here and went in the theater, and I felt that I needed radio as an extension. And um, I started right away, about 1937, doing radio. And you've actually been uh, associated with radio right, right up until your, I, I guess, most of the time that you had that was extra was spent on television. Yes, and I still do radio. I, I uh, uh, every chance I get. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, now it's cut down to a place where you really don't have time to do mm -hmm. it. There are too many commercials, and uh, I remember during the time that radio was sort of drifting out and television was drifting in and. Hollywood, uh, we would do remakes of the great shows that we had done in the great days mm -hmm. of radio, and they would be cut so and interfered so by the by the commercial that they lost their impact, because radio has a continuity that is just marvelous, mm -hmm. as a play does, you know, three acts. I miss it very much. What is, is there really anything going on in radio today as far as the drama is concerned? No. There's just 48 hours of news every 24. 
if if someone were to uh, come up, I, I ask this of many of our guests uh, who fondly remember radio yes. as you do. If if some someone came up with a a good playhouse on the air again today, uh, two questions: Would you do you think that it would it would go? Do you think it would be accepted by the large listening audience today? And secondly, would you like to be a part of it? I would like to be a part of it, first of all. I, I'm not sure it would. I think um, that people now are visually oriented and have been a bit visually put upon. I don't think television has really lived up to its promise. It could be one of the great medias of all time because it's got voice and it's got picture and it's got everything going for it. But so much of the programming is really so inferior and they don't do anything about education. Uh, when we did the CBS workshop and things like that in radio, we dramatized all the great novels. Um, I would do plays with Ruth Gordon and people like this, and uh, we'd do Ibsen and Shakespeare, and there was this marvelous thing of the audience being a captive audience of, by their own volition. Uh -huh. And I don't know whether you could do that anymore. I mean, we're oriented now to turning on the radio to find out whether the freeway is jammed. I don't know whether people would really listen. I would, but I'm not sure. We, we play uh, large slices of good old radio every week on this show. Mm -hmm. And um, we've found that people do listen yes. and uh, enjoy the, uh, the vintage radio programs again. Uh, most generally, the reaction is it's very difficult the first time we hear one or two of these shows because we're trained not to use the imagination. Yeah. But if you stick with it for a couple of hours, not necessarily, necessarily all at once, yeah. those those imagination buds start, start working, working again. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, people like Jack Benny, I, I did several shows with Jack, both on TV and radio, but I always felt that he was one of the great radio people, mm -hmm. and I don't think he ever really lived up to it as much in television. Uh, there was a magic about that voice and the pauses and the, you know, everything he did. Well, the so vault, the, his vault. Oh, yes, example, it was you know. marvelous. He never could picture. No, never. Never could recreate no, it. On, on never. Uh, you're in Chicago this week to uh, herald the opening of uh, another Vincent Price Sears art gallery? Is that no, it? no, actually, uh, Sears is a, a very adventurous company. They feel an obligation towards their enormous public, and they have mm -hmm. the public. And they're starting a, a home decorating school, which they hope will introduce people to new ideas in decoration, to uh, saving the young homemaker the, the mistakes that they make by lack of knowledge of, mm -hmm. of decoration, of the great periods of art. I think the reason they brought me into it is that I'm a fellow who believes that art is everything. I don't believe it's just those things hanging in the Chicago Art Institute. I think mm. furniture can be a great art, and um, fabrics and all of the things that go into a home are very important that you know something about them. And this course will be open to the public. It's a very nominal fee. Mm -hmm. And they give away samples and a, a place so that you can plan the position of your furniture and show you the, the periods of design and everything. I think it's a very exciting idea and can lead people to doing more interesting things because as we become more and more at leisure, which we will do in this country, uh, there will have to be shorter working hours and working 
days of the week, the home is going to become the great center of American living. And I think people are tired of bad taste, and they should know a little bit about what is good taste. Well, you've uh, been a leader in good taste for a long time with your art interests and uh, so many other things. I think that you'll help show them the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, my wife and I uh, wrote a cookbook a few years ago that uh, we've been kind of amazed at the impact of it. It sold about a quarter of a million copies. And uh, we photographed our own home, which is a mm -hmm. real do-it-yourself effort. Everything in it is something that we have done and that we have found inexpensively in, in out-of-the-way places. And I don't mean out-of-the-way in India mm -hmm. or something, yeah, but yeah. just by looking and by knowing about what we want in our home. We have uh, that cookbook in our home. Do you? And, oh, I'm delighted. I want to thank you for some very fine meals, oh, too. The recipes are marvelous. <laughs> very good. treasury of great recipes. After uh, the sequel to Dr. Fibes, what happened for Vincent Price? Well, I, uh, I really don't know. You never know in, in my profession. I'm, I go out on a lecture tour every year, and I, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most exciting things I do. I've been in over 350 cities in the country, about 250 colleges, and I find America stimulating and exciting, and right now I think that all of us must do something for our country because we're in great danger. Uh, we're in great danger as far as our world reputation is concerned. We must concern ourselves with the arts, with civilization. And uh, this is sort of my message as I go around the country. So I, I do that every year. I'm going to do that in February. Well, you're spreading your message today on our program. Oh, thank and you. Thank you very much for spending a few moments with us and reminiscing about radio. And uh, we think that you're stimulating and exciting. And uh, your contributions to radio and to motion pictures and television, too, have been major. And we thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much. Lovely being with you. Thank you, Vincent Price. Thanks. You're all invited to a party. Come along now. Let's go down to the haunted house. Gonna be a party there tonight. All the zombies who dig cha-cha-cha. One o'clock, they're gonna come in sight. Cha-cha with the zombies, cha-cha with the zombies. Have you ever seen a swinging ghost? Cha-cha with the zombies, cha-cha with the zombies. While those zombies are the most. There's one chick in the zombie tribe. Everybody calls her nervous flow. She's shaking, we all lose our minds. All to see that crazy zombie go. Cha cha cha. Cha cha cha. Cha cha with the zombies. Cha cha with the zombies. Have you ever seen a swinging ghost? Cha cha with the zombies. Cha cha with the zombies. Wild those zombies are the most. Sun comes into view. 
So I think we need to talk about how we kind of got into Halloween and, and the haunts. You know, our audience doesn't know, but we put together a pretty successful haunt for several years until uh, the church shut us down. But <laughs> but I have my story of how I got into those type of things, but how did you guys... I can't even remember. It's probably Jack Wilson, though. He seems to be <laughs> the little focus of all Halloween. Yeah, he's the inspiration for a lot of our... I, I met him before I was in kindergarten, so I can't tell between me and him. I know I have drawings in kindergarten of, of uh, wild animals going crazy and killing people. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but as far back as I can remember, I liked the black and white horror movies and loved Halloween. So, when when I was a, a kid, my dad must have seen something because uh, he'd go to garage sales and he, one time he bought me. I was in kindergarten. He bought like this really cool kind of Dracula doll and it glue in the dark and it had this coffin and it was really cool. And then a few years later, he bought me. Uh, a, a Randotti skull, like an old 60s one. And he sat me down and he's like, now I don't want you to worship the devil. And, you know, like <laughs> we had this conversation. I'm like, all right. And so uh, I still have that skull. It's in my living room. We bring it out of Halloween. And then when we went trick-or-treating, we always go to Camarillo. And back then there weren't, there wasn't a lot of decorations. But this one guy, because my, my grandparents lived out there, but this one guy, he'd put out a, a single colored light bulb and he'd get dressed. And that was that blew my mind away. He'd be like a mad scientist. And he just had a purple light bulb in his on his driveway. But that blew my mind away. And I was so inspired. And then, uh, of course, then Jack took it extreme one year and, and did a pretty he cool got thing. He got the newspaper. The yeah, he got the newspaper. And, and you used to build a lot of your own yard, huh? Well, that inspired me. And I, and I started looking. That's when this new invention called the Internet started coming aboard and so i'd go online and find some great ideas and we just uh we just build and and then and now it's come full circle where we where we did our catacombs until again we were shut down <laughs> um well i, we I think though also out. uh you know even when we were young greg and i uh frank you uh you guys put on uh how many haunted houses man you put put it on at the, we did a lot of backyards. We the, did a lot of, of cardboard mazes, and that's because of Jerry Carlton going to his parties, and he would build these huge box refrigerator box mazes you crawled in. You did. Yeah. The, you did the haunted houses at the Fiesta. At the, at the, yeah, the Fiesta. Santa Clara Fiesta. It was and like, in the brother's house. And the brother's house. Yeah. All the time. Actually, every venue we had for the haunted house was sponsored by the Catholic Church. But, but it was Christmas, like Christmas in July. Your your haunted houses are always in April, but okay. We'll do it any time oh, of the oh year. Oh, no, the ones in the brother's house were always were on Halloween. Halloween. It was the Fiesta. Was but when April. you did the Fiesta, it was yeah. in April. Yeah. 
The gr- the great thing about that though is I, I remember you guys had a ventriloquist head that started off the thing. <laughs> that was cool. We started out with sheets, but eventually we had cardboard which we painted to look like stone. And by the time we got to the catacombs later, then we had full on brickwork we made and and uh, and the visqueen and the and the uh, you know a whole stack of skulls, hundreds of skulls. You know, I mean, it was you know a good a good show. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all always been into the you know into the uh, the yard haunt or or the, the the haunted house. Well, I'd always heard too about the different ones in L.A. Um, throughout the years, but just like you said, it was the internet that really got me in touch, and there's that Hollywood gothic and several <laughs> other sites um, that talked about. It. I had a whole section on yard haunts. I went yard haunts, and I looked them up. And there's this amazing stuff all throughout the LA area. There's all these people from all different industry of, of uh, film and stage. So you know, of course, their stuff is killer. But just other people that, that get enthused. There's that, a lot of great amateur stuff out there. Yeah, and that's what the definition of a yard haunt is. What are we talking about? It's now? our it's our working uh, definition anyway. It's an amateur haunt, either just a decorated yard or a haunted house, or a professional trying to look like an amateur. <laughs> in some cases. And there's great haunts all over the country. This uh, year, Halloween's on a Friday, so there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah. This year, the, the, I was looking up and, and before Halloween and after because of it falling on the weekend. Next year will be the same. We're going to talk about, even though there's all over the country, there's a lot of great haunts, but we're going to limit our conversation to the ones, our favorites that we could personally recommend. We've been to them. So, and that means that it's going to be the ones in the San Fernando Valley, the Simi Valley, and then in Ventura County. So if you're outside that area... In Los Angeles County as well. Yeah. I, I think you should still check out the haunts that we're talking about, we're describing today, on the internet. That I think they'll inspire you to find great haunts in your area or maybe to build your own, which is even better. Yeah. So uh, first, a newsflash. Boney Island is back. And that's a newsflash just for me, apparently, because it's been <laughs> back since 2011. I don't know how I missed that. I used to love that place. It, Boney Island was, and still is, I guess, uh, the creation of Rick Polizzi, and he's one of the producers of The Simpsons. Um, back then, it was this great carnival. We all went to it, a big yeah, yeah. carnival of cheap plastic skeletons, but he... It's a great he, idea. All of them were animated somehow with these little motors, and there were carnival rides. They had a batting cage where a skeleton swung at bats that flew. The Ferris wheel, one Yes, <laughs> They had skeleton bands and a uh, a a, uh, a treehouse that actually uh, oh, yeah. just just a, a few uh, months ago was on the uh, Treehouse Masters. Yeah, and so oh, I, I was watching. I'm like, hey, that's a Boney Island guy, and uh, you know the guy went and, and fixed his treehouse or whatever. So how did yeah. you know it was the Boney Island guy? Because they said it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. They well, said, hey, I put on a great yard haunt. It's Boney Island, and, oh. and I was like, whoa. Well, they closed, they closed that great hunt in 2007 because the neighbors were complaining. He sold everything. And, and uh, yeah, and they had a few people bought it, and there was some old ex-Disney Imagineer that had it on, on Hiatus Street, I think. But it, w- it was just a pale a pale version. But now, I guess it's back. It, I don't know how he made it with the neighbors. but had his neighbors killed or something? <laughs> you know, there's, or... At the incarnation now at Boney Island, uh, that started in 2011, it's an elaborate sideshow-type magic show extravaganza. I, I haven't been to it. This year will be the first time. They have all the skeleton swamis and magicians, uh, all these different uh, people make, doing the rope trick. They have skeleton hummingbirds, magic 
candles that float, anti-gravity water, and all kinds of the shenanigans that made the old Boney Island so great. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know. I hope we can all make it there, either before or after. It's still at the same location. It's 4602 Morris Avenue in Sherman Oaks. That's 91432 if you're looking it up on Google or whatever. Uh, it's October 18th and 19th and the 22nd through the 31st. It's 6 to 9 Sunday through Thursday and 6 to 10 Fridays and Saturdays. But if you go outside those hours, tell them Frank Rydberg sent you and they'll uh, <laughs> boot it up just for you. Yeah, let well, you'll see. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is the house on Haunted Hill. And I don't think you've been to that one yet, Greg. I have been to that you one. You did go. Yeah. This. Did you go yeah. this with Jill or what happened? When did you go? Uh, uh, I remember I've been there once before. It's okay. super windy yeah. road to get up yeah. there yeah. and it's impossible this, to park. And this one yeah. too, be sure to look this one up on some sort of internet mapping service because it's it's a tough one to find up there in Woodland Hills. This one is really amazing with all kinds of great lighting effects and projection effects. It's basically a story told about uh, this Hollywood couple, their suicide and murder. They project ghosts on these screens. The pumpkin is like the Haunted Mansion. They project a face on it, and it tells you the story. Yeah, it looks real. It, it's yeah, all, I mean, like, it looks it's like all it's really talking. It's really cool. And they have moving crypts and things. And when you're done on that side, then you move over to the other side of the yard, and they continue the story. And on that side, you can see there's all sorts of effects and things that go way up the hill. Yeah, it's great because the, the house is actually built on the side of a hill. So the yeah. house is, the foundation's cut into the hill. But on the on the side that he's talking about, it, 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 it's almost like a, you know, it's a, it's a you know, a significant grade. So you're looking up and it, it's, they, Some they of do those, a nice job. Uh, yeah. yeah, like 100 feet away. From yeah. There. So, and after that, they still give you candy. So you can't beat it. Uh, it no is, Dos Equis. Yeah, No Dos Equis. Well, you can't have everything. It's 4400 Saltillo, S-A-L-T-I-L-L-O Street in Woodland Hills. It's going to be October 30th, 7 to 10, the 31st, 7 to midnight, November 1st, 7 to midnight, and November 2nd, 6 to 9 p.m. And nearby that is the house, uh, the house on Hunter Hill is the House of Mirrors. This thing is a, a twisted, amazing thing. That some guy has this wonderful garden. It, it's great, must be even in the light. It's this twisting pathways through this forest-like garden. But what they do on Halloween is they have these giant mirrors they put at the end of these pathways. So And they have an angle, so you have to get just up to it before you can tell it's a mirror. It makes the thing look like it goes on forever in all these different wow. directions. Plus, they put fog throughout the thing. There's all these stone skulls that are all over. And they lit with flame torches everywhere. <laughs> and so, and then they got these bog monster guys dressed up in in um, camouflage that hide in the fog and jump out at you. So it, that, and they have great sound effects, and it, it's wonderful. It's six one two four Lederer L E D E R E R Avenue, Woodland Hills. Um, it's six to ten thirty. Unfortunately, it's only on Halloween. Now we come to good old Rotten Apple. And I forget, did you, we ever go uh, try to get into that? It's, it's always so crowded. But this year, uh, they have a lot more dates. And I would suggest not going on Halloween. <laughs> go oh, on yeah. the other dates because this thing is crowded. It, um, it's just in front of a house. They're always tongue-in-cheek. The first time I went there, they had Vampmont Village, which is a retirement home for vampires. Oh. But it's still with some scary stunts. And, and in that one, you crawling they've created behind the walls all these slats you're going through 
behind the walls, all this crawl space stuff. And these vampires come at you. All of it. They had a blizzard of Oz. They had all sorts of t uh, takeoffs. This time, it's a fun house. It's the Wisely Brothers fun house of horror. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's worth going. They're going to be the 25th and the 26th, the 31st and November 1st. Go any day but the 31st. Yeah. Uh, it's free and it's 7 to 10. And they are, uh, I don't know if I said the address, they are 907 North California Street in Burbank. Beautiful so, downtown Burbank. That Burbank, California. Now we come, this one, it, it, it's not the greatest of all, but it's my favorite. And that's The Haunt With No Name. That's the one we ended up the, the first time we went and yeah. went to look with the graveyard. And the the kind of, not Pepper's Ghost, but the... Yes. the, the They had uh, a tomb kind of. And, crank Ghost. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. a Crank Ghost, right. They also had that monk. Remember that he, he would read? It was this uh, static monk, but he would read this gibberish devil yeah. language. Yeah. And this book had um, fiber optics, and it would glow. And then yeah. it, they made it look like the ground cracked open. Yeah, right. It was really yeah. good, really clean. It's a great graveyard. It's one of the best I've seen. Yeah. Um, and they still they haven't had a name for the damn place since the beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They've never come up with a name. It's 19351... Oh, Hatteras, it's like where the other Boney Island stuff went. It's H-A-T-T-E-R-A-S Street in Tanz Tarzana. Wednesday the 29th, 6 to 10. Thursday the 30th, 6 to 10. Halloween, dusk till 11 p.m. And November 1st, 6 to 11 p.m. Uh, here's another one. I don't know if you guys went to. It's called the Hollywood Haunter. Last year, I was working over there, so I passed by. They had this ghost town they built. It, it was very kick-ass. You could walk around the place, and they, and they came as an old prospector and yeah. the can-can girl, but dead, you know. And it was really nicely done. Nice sets in that. And it made it look bigger than it was. And um, Every year is a different theme. This year is a night in a haunted house. Don't know what it's going to be, but... It, it, that sounds... It's got to be great. Tantalizing. <laughs> uh, it's 1547 Garden Street in Glendale. Uh, it's near Victory Boulevard. I don't have times for this, so I don't know. I tried to find them, but it's definitely going to be on Halloween, but I bet they have other times as well. Um, I think last year it was 4 to 11 p.m. Before we leave uh, the L.A. area, I wanted to talk about that Halloween lane that's in Sierra Madre. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that place is so nice. That's... Uh, on Allegria Street. Is that how I should pronounce it? Yes. Allegria? Allegria. Allegria, probably. A-L-E-G-R-I-A -E <laughs> Avenue. It's between Baldwin Avenue and Mountain Trail. And is that just like a uh, you know Santa Claus Lane or something? That's what it's like. Just the whole street is uh, Halloween. And the, every house, and all the houses are like arts and crafts or Victorians, first of all. They've got a lot of old trees, and then they're all lit beautifully. Um, most of it's family friendly. There's not as much gore, but they're very elaborate. That one, remember, he had all those uh, uh, jack o' lanterns, some built into giant spiders. Oh, that, that was incredible. I forgot about that. And yeah. they had those hobos made out of pumpkins, and they yeah. had a fire made out of pumpkin. And yeah. it was just so crazy great. Don't go there and get candy. You park away from the place and walk in with your kids, and you will get a, a, as much candy as you can desire. All along the houses, but don't go there. The lines are too long. Just go to look at the houses, get your candy on the way there and on the way back. And don't go to the street. 
you should go up i think it's baldwin avenue and you drive from the 210 and you go all the way up and just before you do it you turn off to the left on one of the streets um before you get there and then walk back because it gets very crowded yeah that was that's a good tip that worked out well for us they do have um oh porta potties so that's good and they have a very friendly presence of the police <laughs> so that's good too so that's we're leaving now the la area and going into simi valley and this one is called the ha the haunt on helizondo it's billed as the weirdest yard in simi valley i don't know from weird but it's a pretty darn elaborate killer haunt uh this year, they've been changing it, but this year I think is like last year that is added to it, and it's the Witches of Scab Tree Hollow. They have lots of great uh, makeups and suits there. Um, sort of twisted stuff. Like this year I saw on the internet where they're building these trees and having these skeletons of creatures crucified on them as part of the place. Um, they have little buildings and uh, great lighting effects. It's definitely a place to see. It's in Simi Valley. It's going to be the 30th and the 31st of October, 6.30 to 10 p.m. That's That was last year. I couldn't find anything on this year, but they'll probably extend it because of the it being on a weekend. The weekend. It's 2134 Elizondo Avenue, E-L-I-Z-O-N-D-O, -O, in Simi Valley, and it's near Erringer Road. And uh, now we go to Ventura County to a great haunt by our own friend, Tony. Brennan. <laughs> Tony always has imaginative great haunts every year. He's had pirate stuff with cannons at fire. He's had UFO. It's always beautiful. He's always turning last year's Halloween into completely new things that, that if you don't know, you'd never guess. He, uh, every little bit is covered. It's spectacular. Uh, all the neighborhood comes and goes to see that place. And um, this year, it's it started out to be ghosts and skeletons. He tells me there's pretty much no ghosts; it's just skeletons. But they'll they'll be all over. There's a skeleton that talks to you from his old vehicle. There's skeletons in the windows, via um, projected, you know, the DVD projection there. So Tony's address, I th I think, right, is uh, six three eight four uh, Merlin Street, uh, Ventura. Uh, Hill Street is the uh, cross street. Tony's favorite thing was to put his skeleton in the passenger side and drive around with a fishing <laughs> wire and wave to people. That's that, and that uh, wonderful spirit is throughout all of his haunted yard haunts, and uh, it goes from kid friendly to horrifying, all in one area. So T Tony and I, we go we go way back. We uh, we used to do these youth retreat camps and. Uh, so one time, one of the counselors tells him, uh, "Hey, we're going. You know, tells the kids it's late at night. We're going to go on a spirit walk, and you know, you need to be real respectful." So he's like, "There's, we're going on this Indian burial ground. So you got to be. This isn't a joke. You got to be real, real careful and respectful." So so then we start going, and we start hearing this noise, and you know. So then we go a little further, and it's it's like we it's us and a hundred you know seventh and eighth graders. So we go to this tree, and there's this skeleton singing. So Tony's rigged it up with his uh, fishing wire, and he's singing like Home on the Range. And the, the, the skeleton has a banjo. <laughs> so he did a whole concert for about 20 minutes. It was great on the Indian Barrow Ground. So. Very good. So don't miss Tony. 
And if you can, don't miss any of these. And there, like I said, there are so many more out there, so many we've never heard of in this area and all across the country. So please look for them, and better yet, build your own. Are you one of the frightened? Do you believe a dead person's property becomes invested with the very spirit of that person? Haven't you had the feeling sometimes that you were wearing another person's clothes, even though you've just bought them brand new in some shop? Step into my store for a minute. I want to tell you about Dolores Martinez and the dress that she wore to the big wedding on Rivington Street. Dolores was about your size, my dear. Small and shapely, with lovely features. She was only 19 at the time of our story. It was the day of the wedding party to which she and all of the neighborhood had been invited. But Dolores was not happy. Her little brother Juan had got into a gang fight on the way back from the cleaners with Dolores' one and only party dress, and it was ruined. Now Dolores was as kind and understanding as she was sweet, yet when she saw the dress, she couldn't hold back the tears. The wonderful party. How could she hope to attend it now that her beautiful gown was in shreds? But Mama Martinez was determined that her daughter would not suffer a disappointment. She would go to the party and she would be the best dressed young lady there. With all the zeal and effort of a loving mother, Mama Martinez gathered together the last few dollars in the house, snatched up her shawl and hurried forth into the streets. But it was late and many stores were closed. But the old lady was dauntless. Soon her tireless feet led her to a dimly lit clothing store somewhere on the east side. Mama Martinez rushed in. There was a funny little man on the other side of the counter. He smiled at her in greeting, but his face was yellow with age, and a lone tooth in his mouth glinted with the light of the overhead bulb. Mama Martinez poured out her needs, and the old man rubbed his hands. Ten dollars, he cackled. I have just the dress, a real steal. And he brought out a lovely pink organdy dress, folded gently over his arms. Yes, yes, a stitch here, a stitch there, and it would be perfect for Dolores. For hours, Dolores stood patiently while Mama Martinez' skilled old fingers wrought their magic in the dress. The party was only minutes away now, but at last, Dolores stood attired, ready for the party. Small, imperial, elegant. She would easily be the belle of the ball. The dress didn't feel a little tight, but she was properly dressed now when she was going to her party. That was all that mattered. And what a party it was. Every boy in the neighborhood wanted to dance with Dolores and did. And she whirled around the room of the arm of first one swaying and then another. She did suffer some discomfort from the tightness of the dress, but Mama's sewing was firm and the dress held. Only the girl inside the dress slowly began to come apart. First a feeling of being confined, then, somewhere in the middle of a lively polka, Dolores suddenly felt her throat constrict. Her hands were clammy and moist. She pushed away from her partner, her fingers flying to her face, and then, as the music and the dancing reached a fever pitch, the lovely girl in the organdy dress pitched forward on her face. She was dead before anyone could reach her. 
The dress? The old storekeeper had done a terrible thing, selling a dress that some other poor girl had been buried in. Oh, there are explanations, of course. The formaldehyde seeping into the dress from a dead body, the heat of the dancing, Dolores' poor circulation, but... But what do you think? They say the clothes make the man. Hmm. I rather think that clothes make the corpse. <laughs> but come, step into my shop. I have a pretty pink dress just your size, my dear. Would you like to try it on? And now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. Continuing with our Halloween theme, we have a reading from Strangely Enough by C.B. Colby. Strangely Enough was a collection of eerie and sometimes chilling, but supposedly true stories. They were simple, maybe one or two pages each, but good. It was first published in 1959, but it reached its largest audience when it was republished in 1963 by Scholastic Book Club. That's where me and a few other thousand fourth graders in the 60s and 70s ran into it, and we fell in love. It opened us up to the strange possibilities that might be right around the corner, maybe in the dark, or even in the broad daylight. And now, from Strangely Enough, The Frightened Dog. A faded photograph I've had for many years shows a tall, thin boy with a white dog sitting on a porch. Tom, the boy in the picture, grew up in North Carolina, where he and his friends often went on honey trips into the woods and swamps. One day they set forth with their guns and Tom's dog, planning to be gone only a few hours. However, late that afternoon it began to rain very hard. Since they were far from home, they decided to spend the night at an abandoned shack they had stumbled upon rather than try to find their way back home in the dark. The shack was empty, except for some rubbish, a few old clothes, and a lantern which still had some kerosene in it. Eventually the boys fell asleep on the floor with the dog curled up beside them while the rain splattered upon the roof overhead. Sometime during the night, the boys were awakened by the dog whining and scratching at the door to get out. They noticed that he was trembling violently and that the hair on his back was raised as though he were either frightened or angry. Rather sleepily, one of the boys started for the door to let the pup out. Then he froze in his tracks. From the black woods outside the shack came a weird, startling sound. A combination of a whine, a low moan. It was like nothing the boys had heard before anywhere. They all stared at each other and reached for their light rifles for protection as the dog ran about the shack, barking and whining and showing his teeth. One boy quickly lit the lantern. The window openings in the shack contained no glass, but were covered with mosquito netting, and suddenly the dog hurled himself through one of these openings and ran off into the woods, snarling and barking. The three boys waited with their hearts pounding and twenty-twos clutched in their hands. The strange sound from outside faded away into the distance, and then there was nothing but the patter of rain on the tin roof to break the silence. A few minutes later, the boys heard running footsteps outside, 
Before they could raise their guns, the dog leaped back through the broken dining and came towards them, whining and shaking with his tail tucked between his legs. He was a very frightened white dog. That was the most amazing part of the adventure. For when he had left the shack to run into the woods after the thing, he had been black. Well, it's almost time to say goodbye here, but we do have a few housekeeping items. Frank, what do you have for us? Well, if you happen to be in Burbank in the LA area at the 8 Ball, they have the art gallery has The Return of the Skeletons from the Closet. It's a monster art show with uh, artwork from special effects artists and other artists around town. They're at 3424 West Magnolia Boulevard. And next month, the 8 Ball presents Tide and Blossom, another art show, and that's November 8th. If you happen to be in New York City, you can go see George Tisasos. And that is over there at the wonderful gallery, which apparently I didn't write down. It's in New York somewhere. It's in New York. Actually, it's at 530 West 25th Street, New York, New York. Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 6 p.m., and it's free. Uh, thanks for that. That uh, was uh, very informative. Anyways, uh, that's all we have time for, unfortunately. Uh, as always, I'm Jimmy Sweets. This is Greg. This is Uncle Frank. Have a good month. Stay gamey. Stay gamey.